Uh, thanks for being here, and if you're watching, thanks for watching. We um, are going to be in God's Word, as we always are this morning, but before we get to that, if you're going, okay, who's that guy up there? I'm John, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and um, I just want to say hello to all the people in our mask-only, really socially distanced area on our campus. Thanks for being here. We miss you, and so we wanted to create this space where you could still feel comfortable coming to church, but not be around a bunch of people. I was talking to a guy this week and hey, about this, and, and and I just, look, if, if you've been to Costco or the grocery store, you should have no problem coming to church now. Big room, high ceilings, and so there are many people in there. And so just want to make sure I say hello to all of you. Grab your Bibles and open to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. That is page 68 in the Bibles that we give away. Exodus chapter 20. We will be all over the Bible today, so stretch your fingers out right now while you're turning. Get, those, get them ready to move, and, uh, but we're going to start in Exodus 20. And by the way, if you got a Bible from an usher, please do not give that back to us. We don't need it. That's our gift to you. Write your name in it. Keep it. It's yours. So uh, as you're arriving in Exodus 20 now, it should look kind of familiar to some of you, right? It's, it's one of those mountaintop chapters in the Bible. It's the Ten Commandments, but there is something that happens after the Ten Commandments that is very important for what we're going to uh, be talking about today. Exodus chapter 20, drop down to verse 12, and if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20. Starting in verse 12, this is God's word for us today. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's, that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. That's God's word. You may be seated. And as you are, join me in prayer. Father, we're very familiar with this passage, but it's this, it's this description of what took place after the Ten Commandments that is very critical for this series on revival. We need to understand the, this paradigm because what you said in this passage directly impacts what we're doing right now, in fact. So please help us understand your word. Please help us to live in light of your word. And please help us to see how wonderful our Savior is through the preaching of your word today. And I pray the same thing right now for One Community Church. Their service started about an hour ago. So that means the pastor Adonis is right in the middle of his preaching. And so I pray the same thing for him, that the people there will understand your truth better, that they will live their lives in light of your truth better. And that everybody there would leave the service today saying, Jesus is wonderful. Do that there, please. Do that here, please, I pray for the glory of your name. Amen. So I want you to imagine something as we get started, okay? Imagine in that moment, just before the video ended and just before I welcomed you, imagine that God appeared to speak to all of us today. Now, what would happen in that moment? What what would you feel In that moment, I'll tell you what you wouldn't feel, happy. You wouldn't feel bored. 
You wouldn't feel indifferent. You wouldn't be excited. You wouldn't feel any of that. How do I know? Exodus 20, none of them were happy. None of them were bored. Look at one page to the left, Exodus 19. Look at verse 16. This is the beginning of this day, this this event. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, Exodus 19, 16, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So if God showed up right now, we'd be trembling with fear, maybe like the mountain was described right here, trembling greatly. Now, what did the people think in this moment? Look back at Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. What were the people thinking as they're seeing all of this pyrotechnic display amongst them? As they're seeing all this taking place, as they're experiencing the fire and the thunder, what's going on? Verse 19, <clears throat> they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we what? Lest we die. If God showed up here, we'd die. All of us would die. And he would not get a word out before we would all just disintegrate in his presence. God's people need to hear from God, but this is a problem for him, for us, if he shows up and we all die. So what does God do? Turn to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. We were in this text last week for a different reason, but I, I didn't talk about this part, but, but I, I want you to see it now. Deuteronomy 18, page 179 in those Bibles. 179, Deuteronomy 18. God's people need to hear from God, right? But it's a problem if God shows up and we die. So we need something, some way to hear from God without dying. So Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Verse 16. Just as you desired of the Lord. You desired a prophet. You desired this of the Lord your God at Horeb. That's the region where Mount Sinai is on the day of the assembly when you said let me not hear again the voice of the lord my god or see his great fire anymore lest i die so this is god describing what took place about 40 years earlier with the people who are listening with their moms and dads their grandparents this is what was happening then and he's reminding them of this moment He's saying to them, now, now listen to how God responds to them being terrified and them going, we don't want to hear from God directly. We need, we need something in between us. Look at how God says, look at how God responds to that in verse 17. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they are spoken. They are right to not have me speak to them directly. They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet for, for them, a prophet like you, from among your brothers. So God created prophets so he could speak to his people without all of his people dying. He would speak to them through prophets, through people, through human beings, just like the people that they're speaking to. Verse 18 again. 
I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, what the prophet said, God was saying through him, so God's people can receive what they need to know about God without the fear of death. Now, why bring this up in a series on revival? Why talk about this at all? Because this is why revival takes place through the proclamation, through the preaching of God's word. True revival, which is apathy replaced with passion, which is lukewarmness replaced with fire, red hot. This is a cold and indifferent heart that becomes soft and humble to God's truth. That only happens through the word. Revival cannot happen. It does not happen any other way. And what we saw last week, and we'll see again today, to be more specific, revivals start through the preaching, through the proclamation of God's word. Revival in your life personally. Revival in a large group of people, both in the Bible and historically. All of that happens through preaching. Preaching that is faithful to the text is the spark that lights the fire of revival. Now, the question for us, which we kind of looked at last week, but we're really going to look at today, is why is that? Why preaching? Why not something else? Why not singing? Why not praying? Why is it preaching where this happens? I think it's because of what we saw with the prophets. Revival comes because God himself speaks through the preacher, but only when the preacher is faithful to the text. So a message on something other than the Bible. It's not going to lead to revival. A message on something whose foundation is really not the Bible, but politics or psychology or something else, that's really not going to bring revival. A message on the Bible that's not faithful to the meaning of the text, God does not, God will not speak through that. However, when the text is preached faithfully, when the meaning of the text, what the text actually meant to the original author, when that is what's preached to God's people, the preacher becomes God's mouth. God speaks with his word through him. And I tried to show you that last week with Old Testament prophets. They were preachers. They proclaimed the word of God to the people of God, and God actually spoke through them. We see that in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak. So the the words that he's speaking are my words. We saw this in Jeremiah 1.9 last week where God says to Jeremiah, I've put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah 1.17, God said to him, say everything that I command you. Jeremiah 37.2 shows this idea. So there's, at the time Jeremiah's ministry, there's the king, there's his, his, uh, his, the king's servants, all the people in the city of Jerusalem. It says that none of them listened to, quote, the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. There's that idea, Jeremiah 37 two, And this idea is clearest, I think, in Jeremiah 15, 19. God says to Jeremiah, quote, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. You shall be as my mouth. False teachers speak what is worthless because their words did not come from God. Jeremiah's words were precious. They were valuable. They were rare. Why? Because his words were God's words because he was God's mouth. God's voice is what the people heard when the prophets were speaking. There's no distinction between what the prophets said and what God said. Now, if you listened to last week's message, you know that I left you on a cliffhanger, right? I built you up with a series of questions, got you interested, and then said, I'll answer all those next week. 
So here we are. So that's what we're going to do. I focus this on this question. That might be true for Old Testament prophets. That's great. You're not an Old Testament prophet. There aren't any Old Testament prophets anymore. So what about the New Testament? And even more specifically, what about pastors today? Can the same thing be true, that, that God speaks through pastors, speaks through me, the other pastors here? Does that happen when what is said in the preaching is faithful to the text of the Bible? Is this the way God wants Christians to view preaching in their local church? today. Open your Bibles to Luke 10. I'm glad you asked that question. Luke 10. Luke 10. Page 926 in those Bibles that we give away. Luke chapter 10. Jesus in in this chapter, uh, this chapter begins with Jesus sending or commissioning 72 disciples to go out and do ministry in Galilee. Galilee is the region around the Sea of Galilee. It's it's hills and it's fields and it's 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 agrarian and it it it, it is it is a place where he's he's going to send these disciples into the cities that are around the lake. He's so right here, chapter 10, he's, it's kind of a pep talk before he sends them out. He's giving them their marching orders. He's kind of ordaining them to preach. They're going to heal the sick. They're going to preach the kingdom of God. In verse 8, some of, some of these towns, some of these people will receive them. Others, verse 10, will not receive them. So then in verse 16, Jesus summarizes what he's saying to them with these words. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent so the emphasis is definitely on rejecting Christ. You see that re- repeated four times in one verse. Reject, 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 reject. And you see the connection there, right, between the 72 and Christ and the Father, that there's an unbroken chain. You reject the 72 and you reject Christ and you cannot have God without Christ. In order to be connected to God, you need Jesus. He is the mediator. He's the bridge between you and God and the only one that exists. Now look back at the beginning of the verse. Jesus began this summary with, the one who hears you, hears me. Now in context, you can see it in verse 10, the opposite of hear is reject. However, to do the opposite of reject something, to to respond favorably to something, to a message, a person must hear the message first, right? Makes sense. This word hear, right here in verse 16, is the word akuo. Sound familiar? We get the word acoustics from it. Acoustics are the mem- have to do with the membrane in your ears vibrating so that signals are sent to your brain so you, you hear. It's the faculty of hearing. It's, it's like the opposite of, of being deaf, not being able to hear. And to be a little more literal, this text says this, the one who is hearing you, the one who's in the process of hearing you guys, you 72 guys, he is hearing me. This suggests Jesus isn't talking about the conclusion of the interaction between the preacher and those being preached to. He's talking about the process of the interaction. When when people are actually listening, when people are actually listening to the preaching, Jesus is saying, when they are hearing you preach, they're hearing me. So to hear and receive the 72 was to hear and receive Jesus himself. He was speaking through them, using their mouths to preach his word to his people. Now, about this text, verse 16, one author from the 1500s, so 500 years ago, said this. Talking about this text, he says, This is the highest worship of God and a sacrifice of sweetest odor to hear Christ speaking by human lips and to yield subjection to his word, which is brought to us by men, 
in the same manner as if he were descending from heaven. Like, okay, seriously? Second author from the 1900s talking about this text said, quote, Jesus assures these 72 men that when they speak, he speaks. When the people listen to them, they're listening to him. Here's a third author, this guy from the 1600s, put it this way. In preaching and unfolding the word, ministers are but Christ's mouth and his voice. When they speak, he speaks by them. And one final pastor, this guy's from the 1800s, commenting on this verse says, quote, however unlikely it may appear, like this is very unlikely, right? Like, really, is that really what you're saying? However unlikely it may appear, people would hear Christ's voice speaking to them in the gospel preached. So why do I quote a bunch of dead guys, which I normally don't do? And why do I tell you when they said it? Because I want you to understand that what I just said about preaching is not novel. It's not new. It goes back, a thousand, it goes back 500 years that when the preaching of the word is taking place, Jesus himself is speaking. Now, turn three books to the right, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And while we're doing that, I forgot to say this earlier. Thank you for your patience. If you uh, dropped a kid off over there at Kids Ministry, I heard it was a little rough over there today. So thanks for your patience with that. Remember, this is the first time that ministry has been going in the past six months. And so, okay, commercial over. Romans chapter 10. (laughs) If you're like, okay, John, I'm kind of tracking with you, but Luke 10, is that the best you got? Like that, that's okay. I can kind of see that, but... Romans chapter 10, drop down to verse 13. Let me set the context for you. Context is salvation and preaching, okay? And how those two things go together. Look at verse 13. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There there it is, salvation, calling on the name of the Lord. But what Paul does is then he begins this, this process of showing like, how did that take place humanly speaking? What were the series of events that took place in order to get to that point? Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, who preach the good news. So verse 13 is about salvation, calling on the name of the Lord, believing in Jesus, somebody putting their trust in Christ and in him alone to save you from the wrath of God for your sins. Before that can happen, there's this series of events. So notice, before someone calls on Jesus' name, verse 14, they believe. And that's more than just, hey, Jesus, over here. Hey, Jesus, hey, come calling on you. No, this is calling on him as Lord. This is confessing him as Lord. This is giving your allegiance to him, saying, my life belongs to you now, Jesus. That's what it means to call on him. Rescue me from my sins. Notice, before someone can call on Jesus' name, verse 14, they believe. Before they believe, they hear. Before they hear, someone preaches. And before that person preaches, they're sent to preach. So the people hear the preaching and are saved. Now, Look at the middle of 14, that, that, that second question. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So it sounds like what that, that question is asking is, how are lost people 
going to believe in Jesus about whom they've never heard. They never heard about his life and his death and resurrection. How are they going to believe in him without hearing that? Now, that might sound like what's being said, but that's actually not what it's saying. I'm going to get a little Greek nerdy on you right now, so that's a warning, like flashing lights, warning, warning, Greek nerd. The word translated, of whom, you see that in the middle of verse 14, of whom? That, when that word is used, it refers to the speaker, not the message. So this isn't talking about the message being about Jesus. This is actually saying the speaker of the message is Jesus. So you should read verse 14 without the of. You should cross the word of out and just read it. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Rhetorical question, answer, they can't. In order, in other words, for people to believe in Jesus, they must hear from Jesus. They believe in him when they hear from him as he speaks through gospel preachers. Jesus is there preaching through his preachers. Faith, trust in Jesus comes from hearing from Jesus in the preaching of the gospel. And notice, it's not apostles and prophets. Notice, it's preachers sent to preach. This truth is solidified in verse 17. Here's this link again between hearing and believing is emphasized the second time, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The people that need Christ hear through the word of Christ. But what is it that they hear through the word, through the preaching about Christ? Verse 14 told us what they hear is Christ in the preaching. So with the preacher's voice, Jesus addresses the sinner and offers salvation. If you're like, okay, John, that's a bit of a stretch. Not quite sure that's biblical yet. I'm tracking with you a little bit. Anything more clear than that? Two books to the right, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're following along in the daily word, Costi uh, uh, went through this passage uh, this, this past week. Very helpful. So for the sake of context, let's start in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Oh, this is page uh, 1069 in the Bibles we give away. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Every saved person has their biography in that, in that verse, right? There was a BCU and an ACU, right? There was a BCU and an after Christ you. That, and you are a new creation. All of this, this new creation is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation where we are saved to speak. We're saved to speak this message, this, this ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Did you catch that? God, what? Making his appeal through us. This is the correct translation. If your Bible says something like, as though or as if God were making his appeal through us, that is unfortunate because that's not translation. That's a little interpretation. That happens sometimes in our Bibles. Why is it interpretation if it says, as though God were making and not God is making? Because this word translated, these, these words here 
speak of certainty and conviction. It's since God is making his appeal through us. God speaking through the preaching of the word is, is a given for Paul. It's just, this is the way it is. This is what God does. And once again, here's God speaking to people in the context, non-Christians, by preachers, and not just apostles. Look at verse 18. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So this is to all Christians. So this is not just the preachers, but to anyone who will preach the gospel. God makes his appeal through us. The us in the context is Paul and the other guys on his ministry team that went to Corinth and planted this church. And this word appeal right there is in the present tense, meaning God is not frozen in this book. He speaks from the book. He uses preachers as his mouth. God himself, notice, urging, calling, exhorting, encouraging people to come to Christ, notice, through preaching. Preachers are channels, they're pipes through which the living water of God's truth flows. It's ultimately God's voice that is heard, even though what's vibrating our ears is the voice of the preacher. And before I move on from this text... Notice what it says in verse 21. For our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him. How are we working together? Because when I'm preaching, he's preaching through it. Working together with him, Paul says, then we appeal to you. So God's making his appeal, verse 20, chapter 6, verse 1, we appeal to you. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, this passage says that God will not hold your sins against you. He has said that he is willing to be reconciled to you. He is willing to make peace with you. By punishing Jesus, by making him your sin, punishing him for your sin, and then giving you Jesus' righteousness. That's what it says in 61. That we might become the righteousness of God. That you would, that you would have all of the right things that Jesus thought and did and said. All of that would be given to you and all of your sin given to Christ. Then God accepts you forever as if you were Jesus. God is willing to do that for you. If, you, if you're sitting there, you're like, I'm not sure if that's me. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm at peace with God right now. Then please do not. Look at, verse, look at verse 3 again, or verse 2. Now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. It's now. So do not leave here today without making sure you are right with God. I'll be here. The other pastors will be here. We will talk with you. We want to make sure. Do not leave here without experiencing reconciliation, peace made between you and God if you don't have it. Now this text, verse 20, tells us why wherever Paul went, revival followed him. Wherever he spoke, God spoke, saving sinners, sanctifying saints, reviving any saints who'd grown cold and, and hard or apathetic in their commitment to Jesus. Two more passages that I help with this. Not only does God speak through Old Testament prophets, but he teaches through preachers even today. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that is page 1090. Page 1090, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This church in the city of Thessalonica is a church that he 
pastored, that he founded. He planted this church with, with, a, with a missionary team. You can read about it in Acts 17. And in chapter 2, he's, he's reminding the, the Christians there, hey, this is what happened when I was there. This, is, this was the stuff that went on. This was the stuff I was, I was showing you. And then in verse 13, he starts to remind them of his preaching. Notice what he says in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. A couple of things to notice on the surface. They received what they heard from Paul and his missionary team. And notice the text. They accepted their words, meaning they accepted the preaching that they heard, not as the words of men, meaning not human. But notice, they accepted them for what it really is, what it actually is, the word of God. Word for word, what this phrase, this phrase there in verse 13, the word of God which you heard from us, is actually the word you heard from us of God. There is this combining of the words of these preachers and the words of God. In other words, the preaching that they heard came through Paul and the other guys. But what does it say there in verse 13? What it really is, what it truly is, is the word of God. The text is about the origin of Paul's message, his preaching. It is truly from God. So what the Thessalonians received from their mouths was really a message from God himself. They spoke, but those words came from God. Now, in this moment, you might be going, okay, that's kind of, it's kind of uncomfortable. So listen, this doesn't mean their sermons were scripture. It means that God spoke through the preaching, though, using their voices to save and to sanctify. Notice verse 13 again. The text says, quote, that you heard from us. Paul's not talking about himself. I'm an apostle and my words are the words of God. That's what we would expect. That's what people use these verses for. But the word us means he's talking about his missionary team. The preaching that we did together. That was really the word of God. Not just prophets and apostles. Non-prophets and apostles also. That's because this is something God does through all faithful preachers of his word. And don't miss this. Look at the text again. The text says the Thessalonians knew this. They received their preaching as the word of God. Paul didn't tell them, hey, my preaching is... He didn't have to do any of that. Their view just seems to be the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. One last text, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're like, okay, I get it now. Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep showing us all this stuff? Because you need to understand. You need to, you need to believe things, not be just because a pastor says it. You should assume every teacher that you listen to is a false teacher until they are proven otherwise. Because there are a lot of false teachers out there. A lot of them. And all of them say, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm the, you should listen to me. This is God's word. You should, you should look at all of us as uh, guilty until proven innocent. So what am, I, what am I doing now? I'm just showing you this is what the New Testament says about preaching. First Peter chapter 4, page 1119. 
Peter is writing to a persecuted church. We've heard that from Costi as he's preaching through this book. And he's encouraging these Christians. He's saying to them, hey, even though there's persecution going on, there's still ministry to do. And in chapter 4, verse 10, he's explaining spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are ministries that God gives to each Christian, each and every Christian when they're saved. And look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And then he starts to go through some gifts. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So verse 10, all these, these things that we call gifts, these are ministries. And notice verse 10, these ministries are to be used how? To serve other people, not to serve ourselves. Spiritual gifts do not exist to benefit us. They are ministries that exist to be a blessing to other people. Now this word speaks in verse 11, it's repeated twice, refers to any kind of explanation of God's word. So where other people are present, so it's preaching, it's teaching, it's one-on-one, all of that. The idea here is two things. The source of what the person is preaching is an oracle of God, the utterances of God, that would be the Bible. So so what happens is, is the person must preach the Bible. That's the first thing that Peter is saying. But he's also saying when he does that, the preacher becomes an oracle. Notice what it says. Whoever serves, I'm sorry, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. The preacher becomes an oracle. That word means, it refers to words that come from the mouth of God, the utterances from God's mouth. This is not only what the preacher is preaching from, that is what the Bible is. But when his preaching is, matches the word of God, he becomes an oracle. He, as it says there, he speaks as an oracle of God. So five New Testament texts. Does the Bible teach that Jesus speaks through pastors today who faithfully preach his word, who faithfully preach the meaning of the text? I think it's clear after all of that that he does. When what the pastor says matches what the Bible says, Jesus is present and speaks to his people through preaching. In other words, Preaching is a supernatural moment. God is speaking to his people. Is the preacher a prophet? In one sense, not a chance. The preacher can never say, thus says the Lord, before he starts preaching, and then at the very end say, thus declares the Lord. Can never say that. However, in another sense, he is a prophet. In this sense, he speaks the word of God to the people of God, and God speaks through him when his preaching is faithful to the text. So as I, as I was wrestling with this idea, because I, I first read it and I thought, that's not possible. The Bible does not teach that. And some of the things that started to unravel my, my hesitation was, I, I, wait, I'm not a deist. You know, deist, right? Deist are these, these, uh, this philosophy that says that God, that God exists, but he kind of wound up the universe and he just kind of walked away, put all the natural laws in place, and, and it's just working on, its, on the natural laws that he, 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 uh, he set up, and he's just walked away, and he's kind of watching it now. I'm like, well, I'm not a deist. I'm not a deist. I, 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 he didn't wind up the world and walk away from it. He's still active in the world, right? He's, he's still saving. He's still sanctifying people, right? But the question is, How? How does he do that? The preacher's mouth becomes the channel through which God delivers his word to his people. Like individual pieces of mail that, 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 that they are sent from the, the pulpit post office and go into each individual heart 
as they hear the word of God being preached. And if that's true, if that's what the Bible teaches, then how should we see the preaching that takes place in our local church, whether it's this church or whether it's the church you go to or people watching the church that you go to? How should we be, how should we, how should we enter the time of the service when the preaching is going to take place? I think the first word that came to mind as I contemplated that question is the word attendance. Attendance. Think about it. If you knew Jesus himself was going to be preaching at the Tempe Marketplace this week, just like he did in Israel, would anything stop you from being there? Anything at all? Would anything get in the way of that? Would anything that, ah, Jesus is speaking, but man, I got something that's a higher priority than that. Would it matter how far you would have to drive? Would it matter to you? I live so far away from the Tempe Market, but how can I get over there? If you're saved, you probably, none of that would matter, right? Nothing could possibly get in the way of that. But Jesus says of the faithful preacher, the one who hears him hears me. Jesus is in your local church preaching every week when the preacher preaches his word faithfully. Every week, without fail, he's there preaching through the preaching, speaking his word, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In fact, Proverbs talks about God's word being more precious than gold, which makes the proclamation of his word one of the most precious things that we have. This should diminish just about everything that we let get in the way of consistent attendance at our local church or somewhere or online. Jesus will be speaking. I need to be there. Jesus will be speaking. I need to listen. Jesus will be speaking. I I need what he's going to say. A second word that came to mind in all this is the word attention. Attention. If you're in attendance where Jesus was speaking, what would you let distract you in that moment? What would would you let get in between you and, and what he was saying? Again, probably nothing, right? Again, is the preacher Jesus? No. When the preacher is preaching, are his words equivalent to scripture? No. Does God speak through preaching? Yes. Much of the need for revival, much of the need when our hearts grow cold or apathetic towards the things of God, is because we've forsaken preaching. We've kind of moved that to the extra category of our life. Or we attend the preaching in body only, but our minds, our hearts are somewhere else the whole time. But if God is speaking, if God is speaking, you want to be attentive. You want to pay attention. You want to, you want to make sure that you don't miss a thing while God is speaking. This is why we have kids ministry and a nursing mom's room over there and seating in the lobby and seating out in, out in the breezeway when it's not 150 degrees and, and all of that stuff so that people can be attentive. You don't want to miss a thing God is saying when he's saying it through the preaching of his word. This is why we give you notes, paper to take notes on. Because for for many of you, taking notes helps you focus and stay attentive and and keeps you in the moment. I know for many of you, it's like, that would distract me. And that's fine. We're just trying to give you whatever you need to help you stay dialed in in this moment. And I know for others of you... um, there's the live stream of our services. There's the, we leave preaching up. We, we preach other days of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We do this and we explain a chapter of the daily word, like uh, the Bible reading plan, six days a week. Why? Because we know in all of that, God himself speaks to his people. And we want to give you as many opportunities as possible to hear from him. And let me add, hear from him 
through very human, very fallible, very weak men like your pastors are here. Third word that came to mind as I thought about this was anticipation. Anticipation, if Jesus was speaking this week at the Tempe Marketplace, would you have to mark it on your calendar and set reminders and put post-it notes everywhere to make sure that you remember the time and the place and all that stuff? Probably not, right? Because there'd be so much anticipation. You'd be thinking about it every day. I can't wait for that day because I'm going to hear from Jesus. We should anticipate that whenever we hear biblical preaching, that God is going to speak to us through that preaching. This, again, is a supernatural event. We, we miss it when we think, oh, I'm just going to go hear one mind transfer information to other minds. That's not what this is. This is supernatural. This, I don't want to give it away yet. I'll give it away in a second. Martin Luther, German pastor, reformer from the 1500s. He's trying to help his people understand this. And he said this, to see in the preaching event a mere man, a mere man only is to lack faith. And he says, and that lack of faith will rob you of the happiness that comes from knowing God will speak to you personally in the preaching. Do you see why we put such an emphasis on the Bible and preaching here at Redeemer? And for the cynical out there, it's not to showcase pastors. It's not to turn pastors into these kind of demigods. It's because in faithful preaching, God will speak to you and we want nothing more for you than to hear from God. Our esteem for God, not the preacher's, our esteem for him, our reverence, our desire to know, love, and serve him will then motivate us to listen for him in the preaching. It's a false dichotomy to separate preaching from doing because preaching leads to doing. God does the changing. He does the sanctifying. He does the reviving, but he, he does it through preaching. And then we go back into our lives changed. Then we go back into our lives loving people. Then we go back into our lives with something to disciple somebody else with. We go back into our lives changed because of what happens here. Here. Why? Because we heard from God. The salvation we want to see in the lost, the, 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 the change we want to see in our own lives, all of that comes through God speaking to us through the preaching of his word. Fourth word came to mind. It was the word authority. Authority. If you, if you went to hear Jesus preach at the Tempe marketplace, and for some strange reason, he kind of paused what he was saying, looked right at you, and said, I want you to do this. Would, would what he said go into the category of, I'll get to that later? Or would it go into the category of, the king just spoke to me and I need to do this right now? We must be very careful when we reject what we hear a preacher saying. If what the preacher is saying is faithful to the Bible, we are rejecting God when we reject what he says. Whoever rejects preaching that's faithful to God's word is only rejecting Jesus who just happens to be the judge of the living and the dead, according to 2 Timothy 4.1. Now here's the thing. In saying that, I know there are many who have taken advantage of this. And I know that in, the, in a wicked heart, they will take advantage of this. That is why I owe, I'm constantly qualifying what I'm saying with when he preaches, when he faithfully preaches God's word. Because the moment a preacher, a pastor, whoever starts to speak outside of God's word, all authority is gone. 
They have none. There's no more authority at that point. They don't have any. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I will not go beyond what is written. But when the preacher is sticking to what is written, when what he says is seen in the words in the scriptures, that he's explaining the text as it is, his words are the words of God. And notice the Thessalonians. They receive the preaching for what it really is, what it truly is, what it actually is, the word of God. And it seems that because they did that, the word kept working in their lives. It worked to save them. And then it worked. He says, it keeps working in you who believe. Why? Because when they're hearing the preaching, they're going, I'm not going to put this in the category of, oh, that's nice for you. Oh, yeah, you're just a man. You know, all that stuff is like, no, if what you're saying is true, God is speaking. And I need to respond correctly. The fifth and final word that came to mind is the word awe. Awe, A-W-E. If we knew Jesus was going to be preaching somewhere near here, and we went, and we were attentive, and we had the sense of anticipation for what he was going to say, and we were ready to receive his words for what they truly were, God's words, when he starts preaching, I think the first experience that would settle on our souls would not be excitement, it would not be boredom, it would be awe. I can't believe I'm hearing from Christ. I can't believe that I get to be here where he is speaking. This sense of awe and wonder, again, should never be for the preacher. It's for the fact that God would do any of this at all, that he would give us his word, that that he would be present among us that he would speak through his word when the word is preached faithfully, that he would show us that much grace. Think about it. This is the God, Isaiah 40, who measures the universe by the span of his hand, 90 billion light years or whatever it is. He's like, yeah, it's that big. Holds Holds the entire water on the planet, it says in the palm of his hand, who has a name for every star in the entire universe. That that God would be here, speaking to specs like us, that is, just, that is an incomprehensible amount of grace to speak to us, to commune with us personally in the preaching. That should take our breath away. That should cause an, an awe and a wonder unmatched by other things. I mean, we all see the way that people stand in awe of celebrities uh, hanging on every word. Pastors do not deserve that. But faithful preaching of God's word does deserve that. Why? You already know the answer why, right? Because God speaks when his word is preached, which means for those of you who want to teach and preach, let me just like speak to you now for a minute. You demonstrate your awe for God. You demonstrate your awe for his word when you do the hard work of getting the text right. You know why James 3.1 warns people from becoming teachers, telling them you're going to incur a stricter judgment. Now you know why, because in the preaching, God speaks. And so people are coming and they're like, this is the word of God. And you don't actually get it right. You are misleading them. This task does not deserve a few hours on Saturday night or Sunday morning. This is not a Saturday night special. This isn't getting up a couple hours early on Sunday and whipping something together. You learn Greek and Hebrew. You study the Bible and history and ancient culture and theology and digest rules of interpretation. You study and you pray and you think and you pray and you pray some more. Why? So you get the text right. Why do you want to get the text right? 
is when you get the text right, you give the people listening to you the greatest gift you could possibly ever give them, which is not your humor, which is not your charisma. You give them Christ personally in their own hearts, in their own souls, speaking to them. But only when you get the text right. What greater gift, what higher privilege than to be a channel through which God speaks. Now, does he speak through the Bible when we read the Bible? Absolutely. Does he speak through books that match the meaning of the Bible? Absolutely. This message isn't meant to bring those things down. This message and last week's message are meant to bring preaching up to the level that the Bible wants it to be, the preaching up to the level that Jesus wants his people to have in their hearts about what takes place in this moment right now. Now, before I close, I just, I, you just need to know this, that nothing I said just now in this message or last week, nothing I said about preaching is novel. It's not, it might be new and unique to us, but I assure you, it is not novel. In fact, it is the normal view of preaching. In the Protestant tradition, which we are all a part of here at this church, and the Reformation tradition that we are a part of. I don't know why this isn't the major view of preaching anymore, but I think if we revived it in our own hearts, you know what would be coming along with that train? Is personal revival. If you entered the room, or you sang, and, and, and you, you got your heart, your focus right, and then you sat, and you're like, okay, I might hear from God right now. Your heart is ready to change. Your heart is ready to hear, speak to me, Lord. Your servant is listening. What is it you want me to do? What is it you, what is it you have for me? Teach me. Let me teach you. You come into preaching like that, not only will personal revival happen, but multiple people doing that. And who knows the kind of revival that could break out. Why? Because preaching is a miracle. Preaching is a miracle because in preaching, God comes down. Heaven touches earth. People hear from God himself when his word is preached. This is the Bible's view of preaching. We saw it in the Old Testament last week. We saw it in the New Testament this week. I hope as a result of all of that, that from now on, this will be your view of preaching as well. Let's pray.